You know, that was really my fault because I should have put that right at the beginning of the service. Yeah. We know it's what it's like to have little children. First uh, Samuel 7. We're going to take a break this week from Isaiah. First Samuel chapter 7. I think it's healthy to preach four or five in a book and then just go deal with a particular topic that maybe our church needs to, to listen to. Yesterday, we had a bit of time, unexpected time, so we just decided to drive around and go to all the cities around Dothan. Have you, have you ever done that? Have you ever? We went to Headland. Headland's great, and um, it's a great town. And then we went around to this city called Newville, and my kids were expecting, like, this big, posh new town, <laughs> Newville. And we get there, and one of my kids says, Dad, I think this is Oldville. <laughs> Where are all the new houses? And I said, well, it was Newville in, like, 1925, Oldville now. And then we kept going to Blue Springs and, and on around and Clio. And that's a beautiful, beautiful drive on I-10. So a lot to see, a lot to do. First Samuel chapter 7. I guess I should flip there as well. Um, I want to... 1 Samuel 7. You know, many of us have grown up, haven't we, in churches like this that embrace the old hymns and the theology of the old hymns that we love. But often in those songs, there are sayings and statements that we say again and again and again, and we know them so well, but we have absolutely no idea what in the world they mean. People knew what they meant 125 years ago, but we don't know now, even though they might be our favorites. One of the phrases that is of particular interest comes from, O thou fount of every blessing. Where Robert Robinson wrote it in 1758, and the second verse of the psalm begins with these words. Here I raise my... Yeah, we just sang it. If you're like me, or like many other people who sing that psalm, the question that often comes to your mind, especially when you begin to see it, is what is an Ebenezer and why am I raising it? And it immediately, of course, brings to your mind Ebenezer Scrooge and Charles Dickens and the Christmas Carol, and he's screaming at Bob Cratchit to conserve coal and get to work. Of course, we know that's not the idea of what's happening here. Well, it comes from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 4 and chapter 7 where we are today. In 1 Samuel 4, these two are very important in the history of Israel, and they go together. You can't understand the one without the other. In chapter 4, Israel was at a town called Ebenezer. That's not a trick question. (laughs) Ebenezer. thought you had that one. And they were battling the Philistines. And instead of praying or repenting, or seeking the prophet to come because of the battle, you know what they do? They simply get the ark. They get the religious symbol where the presence of God was supposed to be, where the Ten Commandments were housed, and they bring it out to battle, and they think, now we're going to win. And they end up losing 30,000 soldiers. And in the midst of that, they have two very wicked priests Hophni and Phinehas, who were men who had been stealing money coming into the tabernacle, and men who had been having um, bad relationships with the ladies who were coming to worship. 
And these are the men who were taking the ark into battle. And in full confidence, they expected to win. That's chapter 4. And the result was Ichabod, means the glory of God has departed. Phineas dies, Hophni dies, Eli the high priest dies, the ark is taken away. Phineas's wife has a child, and she names this child not Ebenezer, Ichabod. The glory of God has departed. Now, that's an all time low for the nation of Israel up to this point. And then we come to chapter 7. It's been 40 years, years, and all Israel meets at Mizpah, a mountain fortress, to fast, pray, and repent. The Philistines come to battle. This time, there's a very different approach amongst the Jews. They trust the Lord, and he delivers them. Samuel then sets up a stone, and this stone is called the Ebenezer. And he says this, Till now the Lord has helped us. He named the stone after the city of Israel's great defeat, Ebenezer, so that they would remember their past failures and how God had now rescued them and his faithfulness when they sought him. It wasn't just Samuel who records God's hand at work. This has been a practice of the church as well. The saints of old wrote songs, piled stones, named mountains, named cities, named children, to record God's faithfulness in their life. But somehow it's not something we do much, is it? It's also very profitable for you and I to mark the Ebenezers in our lives where God has worked, working. You should look at our history as full of God's hand, His goodness, His love, His faithfulness. Let me ask you this. Has God shown himself mighty in your life on your behalf? We too have faced giants, lion's den, raging rivers, Philistine armies of of a different sort, of course. But we know trials, don't we? We know challenges, don't we? And we know the faithfulness of God in the midst of them. And we've come out victorious often in the grace of God. Has God spoken to you through his word? Has God ministered to you through his word or through a sermon or through the sacrament in times of need? Has he impressed truths upon you exactly when you needed to hear them? Has God not given you seasons where your cup, you feel like, overflows? Like David who says, he is satisfied with the good things of the Lord. You see, God shows us grace and glory again, just like he did then And so our main idea today is, I want to encourage you, set up Ebenezer's in your life to remember God's faithfulness. I don't mean little rock piles, (laughs) although I did have a good friend, and he would hike a mountain every year on holiday, and he'd go up and praise the Lord for what he'd done in his life that year, and he took a pebble, and they went on holiday to the same place, and he was 77, and he said, Rusty, you should see the Ebenezer of God's faithfulness to my family. So the main idea is set up Ebenezer's in your life to remember God's faithfulness. Now, what does that look like? Well, let's start with this. The place of the Ebenezer. Look in your Bibles. Look in your Bibles. And I'm going to just 
start and we'll read. You know what? I didn't even read the text, did I? Let's just start at verse 3 and we'll read down to verse 11. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the asterisks from amongst you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the bells and the asterisks, and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Gather all, the Israel, all of Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We've sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion. And they were routed before the Lord. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. So start with this. The place of the Ebenezer, verses 5 to 10. Notice there's an assembly Samuel said, gather all of Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. Now, you can almost imagine it. It's been 40 years. They've been under Philistine control, right? It means the Philistines ruled them. They took their food, possibly taking them as slaves. They came in and took their women if they wanted. They came in and took their children if they wanted. They raided their fields. And Samuel is the last judge of Israel, and he calls the whole nation to come and gather, just as Joshua had done before he died. Now, this assembly was for the purpose of one thing, renewal, revival of the covenant, of repentance. It was the greatest national renewal, revival, repentance since the days of Moses. So he gets them all together. And says, men, women, we've lived in darkness now for 40 years. Let's repent. Let's come back to the covenant we've made with God. Now notice the Philistines, they approach there in verse 7. As there's an assembly. Now when the Philistines heard the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the Lord of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid. So, Mizba means high tower. It's a fortress city. It's five miles outside of Jerusalem. The Philistines come when they hear of this gathering. And it's 
not so much a repentance that they're concerned with, they think it's a revolt against their authority. And so they come now to put down this uprising. They're coming for battle. Now Israel would have seen him coming from miles away, being on the high place. But this time, unlike when they were in the city of Ebenezer, things were different. They didn't rebel. They didn't bring the ark out. They didn't bring wretched priests out to handle the ark. They did one thing. They turned to God and says this from Samuel. Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us that he may save us, they said to Samuel. The circumstances could not have been any more different. Instead of overconfidently charging in the battle, they take a completely different approach. They pursue God, don't they? Now they fearfully plead with the Lord. They wait on Him in their time of need. Notice the response, verse 10 in your Bibles. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion. They were routed before the Lord. Now, I don't know what the thunder was. It could mean he brought a giant storm. It could mean he just intervened with confusion. I don't know. But he delivered his people powerfully. The men of Israel then took of the arms and they pursued the Philistines And it was there where God helped them, and they piled up stones to remember. Now, what is amazing is God already told them what he would do if they were faithful. Deuteronomy 28. If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all of his commandments that I command you today, the Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you, They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. There's God's covenant promise. And God was faithful. So, let's move from the place. There's Ebenezer to the occasion. Verse 3 and 4 in your Bibles. Look what it says there. The occasion. If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, notice those words, stop. If you're returning to the Lord with all your heart, he starts with the heart, doesn't he? True repentance is marked by wholeheartedness. Rusty, what does that mean? Does that require sinless perfection? No. It means God loves authenticity. He hates pretense and outward performance. The Bible, when it talks about all of our heart and the heart, it covers a whole lot of ground. It's a very big word, and it includes all of you. All your thinking, all your understanding, all your desires. It's more than just your emotion. It literally means they returned to the Lord with all of who they were. They kept nothing back from Him. It's how they start. Now, our hearts are always turning one way or the other, either away from God or back to the Lord. And for 40 years, Israel had been turning away from the Lord, and suddenly, with their whole heart, they change. 
Now, a change of heart always leads to a change of direction. Look in your Bibles there at verse 3. Then put away the foreign gods and the asterisk from amongst you. Direct your heart to the Lord. After the heart returns, after real repentance, always comes action. Idols that control the heart are removed. The asterisks, which are female goddesses of fertility, so when they wanted to be pregnant, they would look to these goddesses. Baal was the male deity of the day that they looked to. They're tearing them down. They're repenting. It's getting rid of all the idols of their heart, all the rival affections to the Lord. And notice then, he serves him. And serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. So they turn from their idols, from their own ways, to serving the living God, which means they're going to worship him alone with their heart and their actions. You know, this was an exciting day of Israel, for Israel, a day of revival, a day of repentance. But the sad thing was, it was the first since Moses. And friends, Christianity, walking with Christ, is from beginning to the end, a constant turning away from my own fleshly desires towards the Lord, isn't it? And there is always something pressing in on me to follow. And often, I find, when I think, when I'm following my own path, and I think about returning to the Lord, there is a sense of doom, isn't there? There's a sense of fear. What do you mean? C.S. Lewis illustrates this quite well on the silver chair. If you know the book, The Silver Chair, Jill, a young girl, she comes into Aslan's land, and she's very afraid, but she's quite thirsty. And she sees a river, and sitting beside the river is a great lion. Of course, it's Aslan. Aslan reaches out to the young girl, and you know what he says? He says, are you not thirsty? Jill says, I'm dying of thirst. I'm so thirsty. The lion says, well, come drink. Jill says, well, would you mind going away so I could? I'm a little fearful of you being there, in other words. Aslan just growled, insinuating I'll go nowhere. Jill says, okay, will you promise not to do anything to me if I come and drink? Aslan the lion says, I make no promises. Jill says, well, I dare not come and drink. Then you will die of thirst, Aslan says. Oh, dear. I suppose I must go and find another stream. Jill replies, Aslan closes with, there is no other stream. Friends, for the believer, a repentant heart that's turned to the Lord is the only stream that revives us and restores us when we're going away from Him to knowing God. Christianity is from the beginning to the end a constant turning away from the desires of my flesh to my Father. I want to ask you this. In your life, is repentance a great episode? 
a great moment that rarely happens, that places you on a mountaintop like Israel once every 40 years, that then you slide down so that you have these mountaintop experiences, but the rest of your life is under the control of the Philistines. You go in your own way, controlled by your flesh. And so that the glory of God very much, if you're honest, has departed. And the presence, when you come to worship and spend time with Him, is not there. My friends, a healthy relationship with Christ begins with daily turning towards the Lord, putting away the idols of my heart, coming to drink from His streams of mercy and grace. But the problem is we feel that there's a lion there. At least I do. When I feel like I'm dirty and I think of Jesus as a lion, and if I think about coming to worship or coming to drink, I have fear in front of me. What will he do to me? What will he think of me? What will he say to me? Don't you know I'm too dirty? Joel 2. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Daily turning our hearts towards the Lord, no matter how long they've been away from Him, is motivated by the assurance of God's grace. What kills repentance are thoughts of a dark, angry lion waiting to pounce when we come. So I want to encourage you. Turn to the Lord with all your heart. Put off the things of the flesh. Serving and knowing Him. Romans 2.4 God's kindness leads you towards repentance. Not a once in a generation thing, but an every day coming to Him afresh. Third, let's talk about the meaning of the Ebenezer. And we'll close with this. Verse 12. Verse 12. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin and called its place Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. In the 1924 Olympic Games, Eric Little, the Scottish runner and missionary, when faced with a real challenge, he looked to Christ literally and physically as he'd done his whole life. Little was a small, strong Christian and raised in the mission field in China. He was an amazing rugby player and an amazing sprinter. And he won all the Scottish events and went on to represent the UK in the 1924 Olympics. Except there was one problem, as you probably know the story. His event was on Sunday, and he couldn't run. And so they placed him in an event that he was uncomfortable running, and he felt like himself not very good at running. The 400, the 400 meters. You see, his time had been about 50 seconds in the 400, well behind the world pace. And so he knew the only way that he could win the race is if he looked to God for help as he ran. And so it goes that he tore out of the gates, and he was far ahead at the 100 mark. And everybody said, he's a sprinter. He's a sprinter. They're going to catch him. He hits the 200 mark, and people are starting to pull in behind him, but yet he's still a good ways in front. He comes in the 300 mark, and a man named Horatio Fitch the American sprinter, and Guy Butler, the British sprinter, sprinter, are coming on. And at that point, you see him doing something radically different 
than anybody else. He literally lifts his eyes to the Lord as he runs. So it seems like he can't even see the track in front of him. He goes on to break the world record and win the gold in a time of 47 seconds, 47.6, over two seconds faster than his qualifying time. You see, this is the beginning and the end of our faith. As Christians, we look to Christ, his cross, which is the Ebenezer of our faith in all aspects of our need. See, such a deliverance like we have here in Israel must be remembered with a great stone. And the word is a minus, a stone of help, implying that God was their help in this time of need. They were victorious because of God. It was a reminder to the present generation and the future generation that past failures, when they had trusted in their ceremonies, when they had simply trusted in their priests, they had failed miserably and ended up losing 34,000 soldiers. And now things are radically different because of repentance and because of prayer. They're looking to the Lord, and they had a radical victory. Now notice verse 9. There's something else here to see. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As all eyes are turned towards Samuel the priest, he takes a lamb or prophet and sacrifices it as a sin offering. Understand this. It was grace on display. A substitute. An innocent, clean animal shed its blood, its life, in place of 40 years of guilt for the Jews who were watching. So 40 years they're wondering, will God be with us? Samuel takes the clean lamb. He's sacrifices it. All of their guilt in God's grace goes from them to the lamb, and he sets it ablaze on fire. And then notice what he does. Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Samuel now takes the role of an intercessor, just like Moses did. He prays for God's deliverance of his people. And through the blood of the Lamb. Afterwards, Samuel sets up a pile of stones and Ebenezer to remember their past failures in the city of Ebenezer. But when they turn to the Lord through the forgiveness of the Lamb, God forgave and He delivered His people. All of this is a picture of one thing of our Savior. Jesus Christ, the great Ebenezer of history, where God helped the world through the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. And all those who set their eyes of faith and trust their hopes, their faiths upon this one sacrifice for salvation, for forgiveness, are delivered now and forever. And we too are delivered from the slavery, not of the Philistines, but of our own sin, and set free to know God. How do we think and live this? Let's close with this. How do we think and live this? Rusty, you said I need to set up Ebenezer's in my life. How do I do that? Two things. First, the cross 
has got to be your greatest Ebenezer. Deuteronomy 8.5. Be careful. Watch yourself closely, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen and let them slip from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and to your children's children. Our greatest Ebenezer is the cross. In the same way, the Jews would have taken their children to a pile of stones and said, look, remember what happened when we tried to do it by ourselves. Remember what happened when we turned to the Lord with repentance and faith through the blood of the Lamb. In the same way, annually, they looked to the Passover feast to remember God's deliverance from Egypt. So we teach our children every day about God's deliverance, God's Lamb, God's mediator, all of our need through faith and through repentance. In other words, in our homes, in our lives, there is one great Ebenezer. It is the cross. And we come to it and we look to it every day and we point our children to it. Well, what do you do when the Philistines attack? It is in chapter 4 that you live, or is it in chapter 7 that you live? What do you mean? Well, how do you handle fear in your life? Is it chapter 4, or is it chapter 7? Do you turn to religious things and say, okay, now I'll convince God to be for me? Now I've tithed. Now I've got the minister to pray for me. Now I've quit cussing this week. Now I've changed the outside of my life. There, it's done and dusted. God will be with me. Or is it chapter 7? Do you turn to the Lord and say, God, I see the Philistines coming. Be with me. Lord, search me, know me, forgive me, and look to the sacrifice of the Lamb. Second, we'll close with this. I want you to have Ebenezer's in your life. I don't mean a rock pile in your front yard so you can't mow your yard anymore. I want you to set up piles of stones in your life to remember how God has been your help. Saints of old wrote songs. They named mountains. They named their children. They named their cities to express and remember God's faithfulness. Even in the town square of Headland, which I was yesterday, do you know what's there? An Ebenezer. A pile of stones with an inscription, a plaque at the bottom. I want to challenge you. In your life, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're young, you're old, Think of some way to begin to record God's faithfulness, to praise Him, but also to pass down a testimony of God's faithfulness to generations. One man I know wrote a book, took a year, wrote a book about God's faithfulness of his entire life, and when he finished, he gave it to his children. Another man I know can chase his Christian heritage all the way back to the Puritans because all of his family wrote diaries and he has them and he says look how God has been faithful to me now in God's providence last night I was sitting there and I was doing a bit of reading and my wife comes out she says look what I found my Ebenezer it was her prayer journal as we started dating and she quickly flipped there and she says oh I was praying for a handsome smart man 
Why did the Lord not answer my prayers? <laughs> I've always said she's got good taste except when it comes to men. No, she said this. She said, this is what I was praying for in a husband. Lord, I think you'll be unconventional. And our life has been just that. She recorded God's faithfulness for years and flipped through this small book on her shelf, one of many. Now, I want to encourage you, do that. Do that in your life. Not just to encourage you when you have struggling times that you can look back and see, this is how God has been faithful to me, but for your children. And so they can look back and say, look how God was faithful to my great-great-grandfather who was a minister at First Presbyterian Church in Dothan, and very unconventional as well, and his wife. Let's just pray. Father, I just praise you for Ebenezer's, Lord, and they look different, but we need them. Lord, uh, the Passover feast was nothing but an Ebenezer, coming together, in your grace, of course, your spirit was there. Remember, God forgives you. Remember the Lamb of God. Baptism is a sort of Ebenezer. As we look back at it and we remember our joining to Christ and God's faithfulness and our washed from sin. Lord, and I pray, and the Lord's Supper is too in so many ways. God, I pray that every believer in here, we would not be passive we wouldn't just go get on the computer when we get home and forget all this, Lord. But we would be men, women, high school students, children who set up Ebenezer's in notebooks, in our house, on boards, maybe chalkboards in our house, wherever, stone piles, whatever it can look like, to remember your faithfulness, how we've prayed, how we've sought you. And I thank you, God, that it's always been the blood of the Lamb, and it always will be. And I praise you now that we don't look to a high priest when we have 40 years or times of drought, when we feel Ichabod in our soul, but we look to a living Savior, the Lamb of God who has come and died for me and now sits on the throne of God. All of my acceptance, all of my hope, and I'm saved simply by grace and through faith alone. We rejoice in that. In Jesus' name, amen.